Well, we're going to read the Bible together. We've been thinking, uh, really beginning today, uh, as we began to look at uh, the announcement of the impending birth of Jesus to Mary in Luke's gospel. We're going to uh, continue to read as we look at the story of the shepherds and the angels from Luke's gospel in chapter 2, from verse 8 to verse 20. Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. So, uh, you'll find that on page 1027, 1027 of the Pew Bibles. Over this Christmas series, we're, we're just highlighting some of the, the, the big uh, landmarks, as it were, in the Christmas story. And tonight, John's going to think with us about the announcement of the angels. So, John, or no, Luke chapter 2 uh, from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Amen. Well, let's come with me to Luke's Gospel and to chapter 2 tonight as we make our way through our Christmas series. As Nigel said, we're going to pick up various characters on the way through and various events, and tonight we're, we find ourselves looking at the, the angels, and uh, we're not going to do a character study on angels. That'll maybe be for a different night, a big question. What we're going to really look at is in chapter 2, what they come to announce. And so, we're used to great announcements, aren't we? We're used to great announcements. Perhaps we've got some Swifties in the crowd tonight, and if you're wondering what a Swiftie is, that's a person that follows Taylor Swift, and they're obsessed by Taylor Swift. Uh, and uh, if you're a Swiftie, maybe you've been watching for when she's going to release her next date or her next venue of where she's going to sing, or whenever, for all the rest of us normal people who aren't Swifties, our favorite uh, artist will release their date where you're able to go and see them uh, sing live. Or if you're a little bit like me, uh, great announcements mean that you, you get really excited whenever it comes to a election time. And so I'm really excited that 2024 will have a presidential election and a general election. Uh, and you sit up all night, you get your, your Doritos or your nachos ready, and you, you watch as state after state declares or council area after council area, and you wait for the great announcement. Who will be the next prime minister? Who will be the next president? 
or various different ways. Perhaps it's your football club and they need another signing, and so you're waiting to hear that. Maybe it's the next series that you're, the next episode of the series that you watch. Uh, for all great British Bake Off fans, we will have to wait another year before we can uh, watch it again. Or if you're a particularly uh, Presbyterian nerd, you're waiting for who will be the next moderator of the Presbyterian Church. That's always a very exciting night of Presbytery, as Nigel thinks, John, you need to really have a better life or a more exciting life as we think about these things. We're used to big announcements. We're used to waiting for the announcement. And great announcements come with hype. There is expectation. It's breaking news. It's the result coming soon. And we wait patiently but it can also be really difficult. And so the, the more excited you get, the more you're eager for the announcement to come. And as we step into Luke chapter 2, there has been a great wait. They've been, the people have been waiting for an announcement. They've been waiting since when? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Whenever God speaks and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so Adam and Eve wait. And Cain and Abel arrive, and they think, will one of these boys be the, the chosen one? Will it be Seth? And through the Old Testament, we start to step story after story, account after account of the people who live, Lamech and Noah and Abraham. When will this one arrive? Isaac and Jacob and Obed, Jesse and David and Solomon and Absalom, expecting, looking, waiting for the Messiah. Think of King David. God had promised King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there would be one who would come and sit on his throne forever. And the people are longing for them, longing for this one to arrive. Why? Well, because sin has brought destruction to God's creation. There's great pain as, as human beings rub up against one another. We, we hurt one another, and that, that's established right in the garden. There's discord and there's mess in relationships. There's agony and there's illness. There's much hurt caused by sharp words and by broken promises. Sin has destroyed mankind, and mankind waits for help, waits for the deliverer. And so, if we look at King David, if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's a thousand years until this very moment. It's 4,000 years roughly since this promise comes in the Garden of Eden. And so, these words, verse 10 of our passage, come with, with new sounds, don't they? The people had lived in fear, in fear of sin and in brokenness. They had lived in bondage and in slavery to sin and to death. The curse had been upon them, and then verse 10 comes to these shepherds who are tending their flock, who we'll think about a little bit more next week. And verse 10 comes, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
And so what do we see here as the, the glory of the Lord shines around them? What do we see? That, that this is something different. Something big is happening. happening. The, the announcement comes that one's going to be born, and this one is going to change the world. He's going to change your life and every human being's life. Now, the skeptic tonight says, well, thousands of baby boys are born every day. What is so special about this one? Why is this great news, good news of great joy for all people? Well, it's great news of, uh, good news of great joy for all people because God sent His only Son, God incarnate, into the world to lay down His life to defeat the curse that was established in Eden. And you might think to me, well, John, that's all religious speak. I, I, that's, you're, you're talking to your own people there. But tonight, if you are here or if you're listening online and you are skeptical, will thinking people ask these questions? All thinking people throughout history have asked these questions. Is there a God? And if there is a God, has He communicated with this world? And if He has communicated with this world, then has He also visited this world? Well, we're going to lay out what we see in the Christian faith here tonight about the importance of answering those questions and answering them with truth. This is not made up. This is fact. We can build our lives upon it. And so, it's good news of great joy because here's what Jesse Ryle, he was the bishop of Liverpool many, many years ago. Jesse Ryle says this, what, we, what, we're, what we're diving into here tonight is this situation that spiritual darkness had covered the earth for 4,000 years, and it was about to be ruled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. This is what we hear of tonight. This is the message that the angel brings, this heavenly being sent down, the messenger of God. That's what the angel is. And they, this angel brings this good news that's exciting the angel and should excite us too. So, let's step our way through then. Who is this baby boy and why should we care? Who is this baby boy and why should we care? Why is this tonight the greatest announcement that has ever been made? Three simple things, and we're going to lift them here from verse 11, from the, this great declaration, this great message, this great announcement that the messenger of God, the angel, brings. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're going to simply lift, lift some of these titles tonight to step our way through, way through. Three things. First of all, who is Jesus? Who is this baby boy? Why should we care? He is the Savior. You see it there, verse 11. Unto you is born this day a Savior. Now, a Savior only means something to us. That, that word will only get traction for us tonight if we realize that we are in great need. And so, think about how we use that in our day-to-day -day language. Oh, you have, you have saved me. You're a real Savior. Perhaps it's a friend who fixes the Wi-Fi if you're a uni student and you're trying to hand in your assignments and it's last minute and you've been up all night and the Wi-Fi's down and suddenly your friend's able to fix it because they just switch it on and off and your panic's over and you're able to submit your assignment, you'll say, oh, you're such a savior. Or the person who stops to help you change a tire. 
There's a poor soul tonight on the way uh, up uh, Northway tonight who had his little sign out in the pouring rain changing a tire. If someone stops, you think, thank you so much. Or the plumber who comes to fix the heating in the middle of the bleak midwinter, snow upon snow, and you're freezing, and the, the, the plumber comes, and you say, you're my Savior. You see, we are in great need, and then we understand this word. It starts to get traction. And so for us here tonight, what we see is that, that we need a Savior. Why do we see that? How do we say, say that we need that? We need it because of what has happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the backstory to this announcement is that we are in great need, that we're under the shadow of death, we're under the curse of sin, our relationship with God has been broken, we're in big trouble, we're in a real mess. And in the Greek, in the original translation of the Bible, what we see is this, in the original uh, version of the Bible, the Greek, what we see in verse 11 is this. In English, you'll see it there. It says, a Savior, born in the city of David, a Savior. The skeptic might say, well, that's just one Savior. As the plumber's a Savior, so too is, is this baby boy Jesus. No, in the Greek, it's sure and certain Savior, born Savior. Not a Savior, not one amongst many. It is Savior, the Savior. And Luke here, he wants to make a point. He wants to write with a great impact because it's the only place in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we hear Jesus referred to as Savior. So what's Luke trying to say? What's the angel saying? This is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the one that you have longed for. This is the one that you need. You have craved for Him. You have prayed for Him throughout the, the thousands and thousands of years. This is the one who has been promised. And if you're familiar with us here at Hill Street and our preaching, especially what we've been looking at in Exodus in the mornings, you'll hear us often say, this is a, a picture of salvation. This is a, a, a foreshadow, a forerunner. This is, this is a link that's pointing us forward to Jesus. Well, here in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 10 and verse 11, as it's announced to us, no longer is it a shadow, no longer is it a picture, no more forerunners. This is Him. Jesus, the Son of God, sent to save us from our sins. God has showed up. And so, my question for you tonight is, I wonder, have you ever felt your need for a Savior? Have you really and truly considered the situation that you find yourself in tonight? If you haven't, let's, let's try and trace it for just a moment. You've been born, but you're not in control of your own life. How do I know that? How do we all know that? Well, because we age and there's nothing that we can do to stop it. You're in great need because you, like me, like all of us, we hurt the people that we love the most. We make friendships and we break friendships. We see evil break out all over the world around us with murder and abuse and war. And your body, it starts to ache and you have moments when you wonder, what is the point to this all? 
You see, we're all in great need. We can't ignore it. You can try and ignore it. You can try and push it away, but it, it, it'll emerge. It'll, it'll come up to the surface every now and again. It'll cause you distress, and, and what you'll do is you'll try and make yourself busy again. We're in big trouble, and we need good news. We need this universal good news that the angel is so excited to bring to these shepherds, these unexpected shepherds. Fear not, for behold, look, this is this is good news of great joy that will be for you. A Savior is born for you. The one that you need. The one who forgives and who mends and who gives you a new heart and new desires, who will make sense of this world, who will give you meaning and purpose and identity, who will give you the promised eternal life. Have you seen your need for Him? Christian, Perhaps here tonight, you, you have said, yes, John, I, I, I recognize many, many years ago my need for Him. And do, you, do you let that joy spring up in you again? Or if you say to me, John, you haven't convinced me as you trace that out very briefly that I need a Savior, well, then I want to say to you very respectfully that you live in ignorance tonight. You're ignorant of how broken you are. You're ignorant of how big of a mess you will find yourself in. You're in currently and will be in, in the judgment. And you're ignorant to thinking about the world and searching for truth. Because the thing is tonight, if you are a skeptic, if you're coming along and you're thinking, I, I don't really believe this, well, the question tonight is not whether Christianity and the claims of Christianity, this announcement makes you feel comfortable. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about whether this is true or not. Christianity is never designed to make us feel comfortable. It is whether it is true. C.S. Lewis, we, we love C.S. Lewis. It's one of the, the few famous people, or maybe with many famous people from Northern Ireland, but it's one that we often go to. C.S. Lewis was raised in East Belfast, raised in a church-going family, but C.S. Lewis grew to doubt the claims of Christianity, and he became an atheist. And he made his journey to Oxford where he rose to prominence, and at Oxford he grew to doubt his atheism. And so he began to, to go over the truths of various world religions, and he, he ended up writing a book called Mere Christianity. And he records in that that how he, he came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ was that he was the, the most reluctant of all converts in Christendom. But he, he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ because he said uh, through the lens of Christianity, like he saw everything in the world, it was like the sun as it hits everything, he's able to see everything through it. No other truth would suffice. No other truth would hold up under scrutiny. Only the claims of Christianity. Not whether it's comfortable or not, but whether it's true. And tonight, if you are a skeptic, this isn't intellectual suicide, but it's the very opposite. It's the use of this intellect that helps us decide and explain and understand the claims of Christianity. It helps us understand this world and universe. And so C.S. Lewis engaged with hard questions 
and he worked hard at giving robust answers. And this news is true. A Savior has been born, a Savior that you need. Secondly, what do we see? We see then that a Savior has been born who is Christ. He is the Christ. When we introduce people, uh, sometimes uh, it's very clear who they are. If you've ever watched a boxing match, it's very clear who, who's coming out, okay? So the announcer will say, ladies and gentlemen, tonight fighting out of the blue corner, uh, we have the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, 20 fights, 20 knockouts, weighing in at 110 kilos from London, England, and I made up this name, it's Hammer, Harry Hammer Hans Huntley, right? You know what's coming. He's going to be a big guy with big fists and he's ready to kill the person that's fighting out of the red corner. We know things about him. He's heavy. He's from London, England, and he's knocked out 20 other men. The announcer tells you who he is and what's special about him, and we even do it uh, with our own friends, don't we? Perhaps you introduce a friend to someone, oh, this is, this is Timmy. This is the, the person I've been telling you about. This is the guy that, that has all of the, the bees, or this is the guy that collects whatever it is, right? Now here, do not miss what is contained as the angel announces who Jesus is. Yes, he is a Savior, but who is he? He is the Christ. Now, John, what does that mean? If we're not familiar with these terms, what does Christ mean? Well, packed into this word is an abundance of meaning, but in the simplest form, it, it means that this is God's promised king. This is God's promised king the one who we were told about that was going to come. This is the one that answers, remember, that prophecy of, uh, uh, to David. And Christ is also mentioned uh, within the, the, the Greek Old Testament, uh, their translation of the Hebrew. In Daniel chapter 9, it's Christos, and that means anointed one. Anointed one. Christ equals king equals anointed one, the Messiah. Now, why, why is this anointing significant? It's really significant for us because it sets, it sets Him apart. It sets Jesus apart. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And typically, that was reserved for three types of people. And the first type of person the anointing was reserved for was the king. You see? It's a circle. comes right round. Set apart, elevated, marked out as different. And now, that's really significant for us here because just like Nigel alluded to it this morning, what we have going on across these opening chapters of Luke is like the, the, the birth narrative is, the, is almost a reflection of what happens in Genesis. There's a new creation, the second man, the second Adam being born. I recognize that this is maybe a little bit more difficult for us, so we have to work hard with this. But, but here he comes. Here's the second Adam. And the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, he failed. And where he failed, we needed another to succeed. And so what was Adam in the Garden? He was a prophet, and he was a priest, and he was a king. He had a threefold office. What does Christ elaborate for us? What does it contain? What's packed into it? That, that Jesus has a threefold office, the anointed one. He is the anointed king. He is the anointed high priest. He is the anointed prophet. You see, there were the three types of people who would be anointed. And so the king comes. The king comes to defeat the enemy. 
where Adam failed, Jesus will crush the head of our enemy, Satan. And Jesus is the high priest. He's the final and glorious high priest. He's the intercessor that we need. He's the one who can open up a way for us to approach our God. No longer will the curtain remain. He's the high priest who will take us into God's very presence, the Father's presence. And his anointing proves that, and it also proves that he is the supreme prophet. He comes to speak the Word of God. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the Word. Hebrews chapter 1, in many ways in former times, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken through His Son. If you've got lost in the midst of those titles, what do we need to know here? We need to know that this is the King sent from God to rule and to reign and who one day will return. The question, just like we had for the the first title, is this, is He your King? Does He actually rule our lives? Does His will get done, or is it our will that gets done? It's easy for us to say that we live for Christ and His kingdom, but do we live in a way that we're more concerned about our own kingdom. And when we make decisions in our mind, who gets the final say? Is it us? Or is it King Jesus? Or perhaps you're not a Christian here tonight, and for you those things are irrelevant, but the challenge is still the same. Is He your King? Who is it that that speaks truth into your life? Who do you follow? You see, the angel comes and announces to these shepherds, even though they didn't know it, that this, this little baby, he was the warrior conquering king that they needed, the one who would come and set them free from their sin. Savior, Christ, and finally, the title that we have here, the Lord is, he is, the Lord. Is this just a mighty man? Is it just a a different child, a special one? Is he just unique and gifted? Is it just another amazing human being like Mozart or Alexander the Great or George Best or Muhammad Ali or Monet? Is Jesus just part of the the hall of fame of amazing people who have been born? Uh, No, he's, he's not just an extraordinary human being. He's much, much more. He is the Lord. And that means that He is divine. Has God visited this world? Absolutely, He has. You see, Savior, the the title Savior is a function that He will perform. He will save us from our sin. King is a, a status that He has. But as the angel announces that He is Lord, what does the angel do? He describes Christ's very nature. He is divine. This is God incarnate. This is Yahweh in the flesh. This is the Word made flesh. This is the second person of the Trinity coming down to earth. And so it's, it's in the Greek again, it's kurios, Lord. And that means that it's this one who, who the world belongs to, who has possession. He's the owner. He's the sovereign. And it's a title reserved for God. So let's make no mistake. 
It is God who stoops to save us. It's the maker who becomes a man to save us and to restore us. And so this is the most fundamental statement in in the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whenever we talk about Christianity, sometimes what we can do as human beings is that we can ransack the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that that we can come along to the gospel as if it was a, a, a fruit tree, and we can pull all the nice things that we want. The minister talks about peace. Yes, I'll I'll have some of that. The minister talks about love and and grace. Yes, I'll I'll have some of that. And and we start to try and ransack the gospel truth, and and we we cherry-pick what we want. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Is He these things in our lives? In your life, is He Savior and Christ, King and Lord? What do these things mean to you tonight? As as we draw to a close, as you hear verse 11, that this is great news for all people, good news of great joy, is He these things for you? Is He Savior? Is He King? Is He Lord? What does He mean to you tonight? And perhaps you're saying, John, in the midst of this all, I don't quite know how to respond tonight. How do we, how do we take this information, these three titles, how do, how do we work them out in our lives? Well, look at verses 13 and verses 14, because as the angel announces this to the shepherds, then verse 13, suddenly then with the angel is a great multitude of the heavenly host. Here comes all or some of the other angels, and they do what? They praise God and they sing to Him this, this hymn that we have, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. See the excitement contained in the angels? bursting out of them, these heavenly beings who have looked on, these sinless beings who have watched. Now is the moment. Here He comes. Here is the one that you need. Here's the one that you've longed for. And how will we respond? How should you respond, shepherds? Well, do what you've been designed to do. Man's chief end is to glorify God. What should you do? You should sing glory to God in the highest. Sing it out. Sing it loud and clear because this is what you have been designed to do. And here's your creator, the one who has come to rescue you. So give glory to him. Glory to God in the highest. You see how it's constructed there, verses 14, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest as high as high can be, and on earth the lowest place, glory to Him. And here comes what He comes to do. Here's contained what He comes to do, peace, relationship restored. In many ways tonight, these are familiar words, familiar titles for us, but I trust tonight that they have struck with you a different note, Savior. Christ and Lord. I trust it sounds differently to you. 
that you can hear this greatest announcement, that it will bring you great joy, and then that you will take this and share it over this Christmas period. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, will you take Him to be your Savior? Will you take Him to be your King? Will you recognize Him as your Lord?